In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, as we continue our journey through the book of Luke, if you weren't with us last week, we began a unique series in the book of Luke. And it really emphasized on this word, how to be rich toward God. Jesus has a whole series of teachings on how to be rich toward God. And that phrase came out of a parable about Jesus rebuking, really, a very foolish prioritizer. And Drew began that story with us by reminding us what Jesus taught in that parable. I'm going to show you how all the teachings in the rest of the chapter relate to the first one today. We also said what's exciting is that we plan to go through the book of Luke, which is going to take us about 18 months by the time we're done. We planned our series about three years in advance. Three years ago, we planned to go through the book of Luke, having no idea that the same time we'd be in Luke on these specific passages about money, that God at the same time would be directing us as a church to not just be rich toward God in general, but there might be a way in which you and I could be rich toward God here at Horizon. We had a day of prayer and fasting last January as a staff and elders, as we always do. And we began to really seek God. We talked about trying to raise a million to $750,000 of last year, but we weren't sure exactly what for. Is it for overflow? It's definitely for video equipment, for online and, and live stream services. But how do we take care of the overflow issue we have at 8.50 and at 10 o'clock? But last May, we had as clear as we've ever heard from God, a clear sense of what we were supposed to do to create our next growth strategy for the next five years. And the clarity we got from God is that we as a team felt like God was saying we're supposed to double or triple the amount of equipping services we have so that more people can be worshiping like we just worshiped, taking communion together, going verse by verse through the Bible. In order to do that, to use the video equipment we've been talking about buying and installing so that we can have live stream and and in-demand video, but then use those videos to show in other spaces, both on the weekend and during the week, and be able to take our two equipping services and turn into four, maybe even six, during the weekend on the weekend. And as we talked about that, we thought, how exciting would that be? Because number one, it would take something we love, teaching verse by verse through the Bible, and get more and more people growing. And hopefully that would also move people that are attending our exploring services into services that are, are growing them the way they need to be grown to create space for our exploring service. And Drew shared that last week, how excited we are that this is a unique time in history, that what God is leading us as a church and in our teaching of the Bible are coming together to pray about and to dive in with God's movement. Because Aslan is on the move. And when God is on the move, he invites you to be part of that. Because as Jesus said last week, he wants us to be rich toward God. In fact, he's going to say in the passage today, he commands you and I to store up money bags for ourselves. What? Yeah. That's what he's going to tell us today. And how to be rich toward God. Now, if you weren't with us last week, let me remind you the story. There's a man who's doing very well financially. Business is booming, things are going well, and all of the new resources come in. All the prosperity comes in. He says, you know what I probably need to do? I need to probably build a bigger barn, build a bigger shed. And as he builds this barn and builds this shed, just as he gets it built to hold all his new stuff, God comes and his life is required of him and he dies. And God says, you've prioritized foolishly. 
It's not that it was bad to be rich. It wasn't bad to be prosperous. That was God's blessing. But then the way you prioritize spending it, you thought about how to be rich towards yourself, but you never thought about prioritizing your life in light of eternity. You prioritize your short life, not your eternal life. And instead of passing his riches on ahead, he just decided to build a bigger shed. And that's where we left off last week. And Jesus is saying, it is wise. In the same way you do that with your retirement. You did that with your retirement, right? You made some decisions in the short term to not spend as much so that you would have resources to provide for you in the future. We do that. We're, we, we anticipate that. We plan for that. Jesus the same thing is true spiritually. You make decisions on how you spend in this dash of your life now so that you can be rich toward God in eternity. Because this life is short. And eternity is long. So pass your riches on ahead. I grew up in uh, central Illinois, and I saw these things all the time, and you probably have too. These dilapidated barns, right? There was a time that somebody got together with their wife and family and said, Wow, I can't wait to build that. This is going to facilitate growth. They even bragged to their neighbors, oh, you should see the barn I'm about to build. This was something that facilitated great family um, activity and economy. But ultimately, as good as it was, as helpful as that barn was, it's temporal and it eventually falls apart. In fact, so much so that its value now is in its destruction. Somebody taking that old wood and sticking it on a wall of some microbrewery, right? That's going to be its value. <laughs> Now, it's not to say the barns are bad. It's just to say they're temporal. Now, contrast that with how God presents what really matters, the kingdom. He says, my kingdom is eternal. My kingdom lasts forever. And he says, my kingdom is about a giant wedding feast, a royal wedding feast that lasts forever. And you know what's at that forever eternal wedding feast? People. People connected to their Heavenly Father. People connected to their Heavenly Father. And standing before it is a royal wedding feast. And Jesus says, this is my bride, the church. And I want as many people to be my bride as possible. And what really matters for eternity is how many people are connected to God. How many people understand who Jesus is. How many people know their Heavenly Father and spend their eternity living forever with me. And it's in this lens he asks us to think about our life. That everything about our life should go through the lens of the kingdom. Prioritizing the kingdom. Because not all giving is the same. Not all living is the same. But Jesus is going to focus on giving today. I mean, we're helping out with hurricane relief. And that's a great thing. It's a good investment as you drop off your perishables. But it's not the best investment. Because a lot of people will get their toilet paper and they'll get their, their, their perishables, or, or non-perishables rather, but they won't necessarily, in getting that, know about Jesus, get connected to the kingdom, and ultimately end up in heaven. We hope it sets the stage for it. So there are good investments and there are great investments. And many of us give to a lot of good things. But let's begin to look at our giving through the lens of what helps people connect to eternity. And let's put our money where eternity is. Jesus might say it this way in my favorite rephrase of Dr. Seuss. God's kingdom should be much more 
So ever so much more, so muchly, much, much more significant to you in how you live. God's kingdom should be much more. Oh, ever so much more. So muchly, much, much more significant to you because it's what matters. And this whole chapter coming out of the barn story, which answers the story of a man who is arguing about inheritance with his brother, is going to tie all that together with three words. Consider, seek, and give. And I think Jesus puts the words in that order for a reason. First, we consider our life and who God is. Then we seek his kingdom and then we choose to give out of that. Let's begin with consider. He says to his disciples, therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life. What is life anyway? It's more than just this life, what you eat and your body. It's more than just what you put on. Life is more, much more than just your food. And your body is more than just clothing. So consider the ravens. They know it's more than just a barn. We'll come back to that. And how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add even a cubit to your stature? If you're going to be a Christian, Jesus and God will encourage you to think, to engage your brain, consider, weigh. And he wants you to weigh some things. Your life, I want you to weigh, consider your life. And consider your life. Isn't it more than just temporal things like clothes? If you live forever somewhere, clothes are nice. Have nice clothes. Enjoy nice things. But your life, your eternal life, your real life is so much more than just your clothes. How about your body? Your body... Well, Chad, you're eventually going to die. Yeah, but Christianity says your body's not over with. You get a brand new body in heaven. The unique vision of Christianity and the resurrection of Jesus is when you get to heaven, you get a body. So your body is much more than just what you eat and what you clothe it with. Which is the hope of anyone you've ever lost has a new body. If they had Alzheimer's, their, their brain has been restored. They, remind, they remember you again. If they've dis, been dismembered, their body is restored. They can hug again. They can love again. That your body, your eternal body, goes into heaven with God. It's so much more than just what you wear. And what he's saying here is that your life, when you consider and think about how much more valuable people are than just stuff, you begin to think about how to prioritize the kingdom. Not through some emotional appeal, but through considering and thinking about the realities of eternity. He says, consider two things about your life and two things about God. Consider why you worry. One of the reasons you worry, he says, is because you think you're your own provider. That it's all up to you. That you make your opportunities and you create everything around you. It's your job to make it all work. Do not worry as if you're your own provider about your life. God provided your life. God provided your brain. God had you born in this time, in this place, in this century. Don't worry about what you eat as if you need to provide for it, nor your body as if you need to put it all on. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? We'll come back to that. See, what, what Jesus says is until you get that God is your provider, He's the ultimate source of everything you do, you're going to think you're your own provider. And if you think you're your own provider, you're never, 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 never going to invest big into the kingdom. 
So, oh, I, oh, I'm the provider. I got a lot, but you know, I got to make sure I protect it. And so you're going to be stingy because you only got little pieces of the puzzle to, to divvy out to eternity. But what if God is your provider, if your heavenly father is your provider, and you're going to spend eternity with him, you'd say, well, I want to pass on the riches forward. So consider why you worry. You see, when we worry, we put ourselves in the place of God. I've got to worry about and control people, circumstances in the future. That's putting yourself in the place of God. You can't control people, circumstances in the future. And what your heart is longing for is to know God is your provider. He goes on and says, consider why you toil so much. This will come out a little bit more when he mentions the antidote. You think you're your own tailor. You're the one that dresses yourself up. The lilies are going to know something you don't. Until you realize God is your provider, he's the one that provides what you need and what you want, that he's the core, that is the secret to harmony, that is the secret to peace. Life is more, weigh it again, think about it, it's more than just food, it's more than just clothing, you're more valuable, much, much more, muchly, much, much more valuable than birds. And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? which is a Hebrew hyperbole. But what it sounds like it means is Jesus saying, hey, stop worrying, because which of you by worrying can add a cubit, which is the distance between your middle finger and your elbow, a cubit, about 18 inches. Which of you by worrying ever added 18 inches to your stature, your height? But that's not what the word stature means in Hebrew, or in Greek rather here. He could have said height. He doesn't say height. He actually uses the word for lifespan. Which of you, by worrying, can add 18 inches to your lifespan, your longevity? You remember our foolish prioritizer? He built his big barn, and then his short life came to an end. Jesus says, all your worrying, all your providing, all of your toiling can't add 18 inches to your lifespan. Life is short, and eternity is And Jesus is using hyperbole to say it's ridiculous to think that you could add inches to lifespan. The two aren't even related. If I was going to use an American way of saying it, it might sound like this. What, however, from all your worrying has the power to add eight to, uh, sorry, to add to your age 18 inches? That's ridiculous. Another way to say it. Which of you by worrying could swap your age for your height? No. And that's Jesus' point. Life is short. So prioritize the things that matter because you're not going to add to your lifespan. So having considered your life, he says, and here's how you do it. You need to consider some things about God. The ravens know something you need to know. And the lilies know something you need to know. What do they know? Well, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap which they have neither a storehouse nor a barn. You see how this is connected? You know what the ravens know? I think Jesus is out teaching and outside probably, and there's all kinds of birds around, but he sees a raven. He said, come on, guys, let me show you the raven here. The raven doesn't have a barn. Because the raven knows something you don't. That God is his provider, or her, depending on the raven, I guess. God, not the barn, is the raven's provider. That's what the raven knows. 
The raven is able to have freedom because God is their provider, not their barn. Now, he's not saying barns are bad. It's good to save. It's good to prepare for the future. It's good not to be a burden on your kids and grandkids. These are good things. But once that barn goes from being a barn, a mechanism for financial planning, and it becomes your provider, there is no number that will satisfy your soul. There's no number of salary that will ever satisfy your soul. There's no number of savings that will ever make you feel ultimately secure. No number. Your your soul is too deep. So use your barn as a barn, but don't turn into a provider. And Jesus uses the word ravens for a reason. He could have used any other bird. He uses ravens because there's a story in the Old Testament of Elijah, who has got lots of zeal, lots of passion. Go, 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 go. Take on all the, the, the prophets of Baal. Fire, 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 fire comes down. Oh my goodness, it's awesome. Everybody follow me. We're going to take on the prophets of Baal. And everybody's like, nah. And he falls into a deep depression because he had all this passion and all this oomph. And he stumbles off into a cave with no friends and worn out and depressed and burnt out. And God appears to him and says, hey, Elijah, how'd that work out for you? It's a lot of effort, a lot of toil. But you weren't necessarily asking me to provide. And you burned yourself out. It's not a lack of zeal. It's not even a lack of doing the right thing. You just weren't doing it with me as your power source. So, hey, wake up. Let me bake you a cake. God bakes him a cake. And he went in the power of that cake for like a hundred mile journey. And it says God provided for him with the ravens. In the same way I provide to the ravens, and they know who their provider is, I want to give you a tangible example. When you're burnt out and worn out, through the ravens, I'm going to provide for you. So that you will start to believe and know that you need to move where God is moving and know he is your provider. Elijah began to know what the ravens knew. Then Jesus says, let's consider not just the ravens, let's consider the lilies. And specifically, let's consider how lilies grow. See, what lilies know is it's not their toil that makes the tailor of how beautiful they look. They know that God is their tailor. God produces growth. God is the one that energizes them. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They, they don't plop out of the ground and go, Oh, I need a leaf. Another one. Oh, now I need a, a blue. Blue, 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 blue. Red. They don't toil. They don't toil and spin, Jesus says. No, no. You know what the lilies do to grow? They root themselves in the soil, which Jesus already told us is the Bible. When you root yourself in the soil... You get close to and intimate with God's word, you grow. When you look up to the heavens and allow the rain from heaven and the light from God upon you, you grow. When you realize God is the one that nourishes you and provides for you and grows you and fills you, that's what the lilies know. And have you ever seen lilies? Wouldn't you love to have your inner life look like that? Where you're walking through your soul and you just smell... The aroma of the Spirit of God. That you break off one. It's red. It's joy. It's the kind of joy that transcends circumstances. The kind of joy that didn't come from you. It comes from God. And another one. A peace. 
The blue peace of understanding, a shalom that calms your soul no matter what your circumstances. It only comes from God. Or maybe a, a yellow one. It's the sense of generosity. Where you start saying, I am more generous than I ever thought possible. Why? Because I didn't do it. I got close to God. I learned He was my provider. I learned He was my nourisher. And so over the years, as I've allowed and considered who God is, generosity is flowing out of me because I know who my real provider is. And I'm more generous than I ever could have been because it's not me being generous. I'm more joyful than I ever could have been because it's not my joy, it's His. And it's out of all that considering, Jesus says, that we then seek. Therefore, it's just smart, guys, to not seek temporal things, but to seek eternal things. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink. Don't have an anxious mind as if it's all up to you. For all these things, they're not all bad, by the way, the nations of the world seek after first. But your Father knows that you need, not just want, you need these things. They're not all bad. Just don't seek them first. But seek the kingdom of God, the eternal things first, then all these things come after. They'll be added to you. It's all about prioritization. Seek God being your provider. Seek God kingdom first. Look at everything in your life through that lens. And then the harmony and the joy and the generosity of God settles itself into you. That's what it looks like to seek God. Which is one of the reasons why when we started our church 15, 18 years ago, we said, well, why does Cincinnati need another church? Have you thought about that? Like, like on your way here today, did you think to yourself, you know what there's a real lack of in Cincinnati? Churches. No. Why did we start another church? We looked at the landscape of the world, really, and Cincinnati and said, what, when you're going to start a church, what should be the lens? Well, probably the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. A church that teaches people to love God and love others. And a church that's about evangelism and discipleship. Bringing people to Jesus and teaching them how to be equipped in Jesus. As we looked at the landscape of the world, we felt more and more people were biblically illiterate in the world today. And it's only gotten worse. And as we looked at the proclaiming or the preaching going on in the world today, it was shocking to see two equally, in my mind, horrific alternatives to preaching. Light and fluffy and dry and dusty. And going verse by verse through the Bible, almost everyone had thrown that out. Because it had been done either light and fluffy or dry and dusty. Not deep and compelling. What if we could create a place at Horizon that was lined up with the Great Commission, that we had a church that was offering the best Bible teaching in the country. That's what we aspire to do every week here. The best Bible teaching in the country is what we aspire to do. So that people can come in and spend 18 months studying, studying Luke. Can finally figure out what the book of Leviticus is about. 19 weeks on the book of Ezekiel. Going through over 10 years, taking through the entire Bible over a long period of time. That was our passion. And we felt like nobody was doing it in Cincinnati. And in the, in the United States today, hardly anyone's teaching verse by verse through the Bible in a creative, authentic, compelling, excellent way. And we felt that's how you equip people. And that's why we were seeking God in our early days. 
But we also saw that many of us were building relationships with people far from God, not convinced about Jesus, God, and the Bible. We'd have great conversations at our house or after a soccer game or at the country club. But the, the step between those conversations and coming to that church service was way too far. I have to sing songs. I got to stand up. I got to put a sticker on myself. I, I got to raise my hand. Oh, why are people raising their hands? That we needed some type of compelling, challenging Bible teaching that had the kind of context that didn't dilute any of it, but create a context that you could take somebody you're inviting and invite them into this kind of exploring environment. It's called evangelism. As we were seeking God out from the very beginning, we said we've got to create a place with challenging Bible teaching that does evangelism and discipleship. Because churches seem to do one or the other, but not both. So last year, as we began to talk about, we're not sure exactly what God's doing, but we feel like we need to put in state-of-the-art video equipment so we can have you know, online services and you can hear a message about depression and send it to a friend or whatever it is. Many of you have started to feel God prompting you to give to be part of that. In fact, somebody came into our office a couple months ago and said, listen, I don't know what you're going to do about equipping services, the overflow problem, but we're going to make a five-figure gift to this $750,000 campaign. I'll tell you why. Why? Well, two reasons. Number one, we travel a lot. And we don't want to miss any services at Horizon. And we want to watch it when we're out of town on business. We want to watch it when we're at our our second home. We want to personally not miss a thing. We've learned more about the Bible attending Horizon than any time in our spiritual life. I thought, you know what that sounds like? Discipleship. Somebody who wants to educate themselves to keep growing. But they said the other reason we're given to this is because we've got a lot of friends who don't attend church. And we'll be in the middle of a message and go, oh my goodness, that talk on marriage, that passage about prayer, that passage about soulishness and how to connect with God. Oh, I wish they had been here. And we want to have our services on video so we can send YouTube links or Vimeo links to our friends who might be 20 steps, three years away from coming into this room, but they would listen on their phone or they would watch on their iPad. I thought, well, what is that? Evangelism. It's not just evangelism and discipleship corporately, the way we do services, which is important. It's evangelism and discipleship for yourself. What does it look like for you to seek your own spiritual growth? What does it look like for you to seek ways in which you use the tools we're providing as a church to help you in your own personal evangelism? And I hope you're as excited about that idea in your life as we are about our life corporately. Imagine half of us beginning to use our services as tools to invite our friends to put teaching of God's word in front of them. It's powerful. If each one of us began to seek God's kingdom first and then let our treasures follow that. And that's why Jesus follows up seeking with the word give. Give. And he's so tender how he describes his father here. (laughs) He comes down to the disciples and says, Guys, 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 do not fear. I know this is scary. Do not fear, little flock. Jesus, the good shepherd, sees each one of us as sheep. I know it's a scary world out there with the Romans in charge. Let me pick you up. Come here, little flock. Can I tell you about my father? Oh my goodness, if you get that he's your provider, if you seek his kingdom first, my father, it is his good pleasure He can't wait to give you the kingdom. My dad doesn't lack resources. 
My dad's not stingy with his joy and generosity and peace and self-control. My dad, it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I want you to have everything God wants for you. So here's how you do it. You sell stuff that's temporal in order to invest in things that are eternal. Sell what you have that's temporal and give alms. And he uses a very specific word here, alms, and I'll come back to it in a second. But here's why he says you should do it. So you know the heart of the Father and so that you will, look at the commandment, provide money bags for yourself in heaven. It's a command. Just like don't commit adultery, make sure you provide for yourself some money bags in heaven. He even says it a different way. Store up treasures in heaven that thief can't get a hold of, moth can't get a hold of, rust can't touch. And it's not just a commandment like do this because I'm telling you to. It's wise. Why would you put all your investment in something temporal when you could have treasures and money bags that are eternal? I'm telling you guys, this is inside trade or eternity here. This is the smart investment, Jesus is saying. Now what does he mean by giving alms? Alms is a word that is anything given to charity above and beyond what would be considered the tithe. So Jesus presumes you're tithing. Now, tithing can be kind of weird because in the Old Testament, a tithe was about 26% of your income given to the temple. And that's because it was a combination of your philanthropic giving and the taxation of the time under a theocracy. The Bible doesn't necessarily hammer down an exact percentage because it's hard to compare apples to oranges there. The Old Testament concept, though, in principle comes over of giving to God's priorities. And giving a percentage of your income is so important because when you give not just $100 or $500, but a percentage of X, everything God's given you, it actually reminds you every time you write that check, I'm giving a percentage of X. Oh, look what everything God's given me. That's what grows your faith. I know many of you are very, very generous to many things in Cincinnati and around the world. And many of you are very, very generous to Horizon. And some of you, you don't give to Horizon and give to your local storehouse where you get educated and grown. And I would invite you, one, we need your gifts. Two, you look around like, well, the place isn't falling apart. I guess I'll give someplace else. But we try and do things with excellence. We try not to beg people for money. We try and cast a vision for Jesus and have people give to something of excellence. But don't mistake, we need your gifts. And you need your gifts. When you give to your local storehouse, God grows your faith. And like I said, not all giving is the same. This is the kind of giving at Horizon that connects people to eternity. And if you're not giving to Horizon, in, into our, in our uh, tithing to it, I would just say start small and end up giving big. If you're not even giving 1%, start at 1%. I don't know what your journey will be. My wife and I give 10% here to Horizon, but then we have other margin of giving to say, oh, we want to give some alms. We want to be open to where God might be moving outside of our local assembly. Which is why we adopted nine years ago. Because we'd create space for God to direct. I hope you're giving to things in the city. I hope God stirs your heart for, for, for the widow. I hope God stirs your heart for those who are hurting. We are always looking and on the lookout for ways in which we can convert temporal money into eternal money. And this word alms is any way you give above and beyond. And I know many of you give well beyond 10% of your income. I would just consider and ask you and invite you to give to God's priorities. And one of them in that picture of eternity is what? The bride. The bride of Christ. People. Mechanisms and tools that draw people to know Jesus and to grow people deeper into the word. And when you give alms, 
And I think alms might be what our video project's going on. The video project will be above and beyond your tithe to say, I want to create a tool to be part of growing people spiritually. That's what he's saying here. And when you do that, you provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in heaven that does not fail. No thief's going to get it. No moth's going to destroy it. And then you're going to find something even better. When you give to things that are God's and eternal, your heart follows. Your heart will grow along with it. A couple years ago, I did a funeral here. It was a challenging one. It was a good friend of mine. It was somebody who started attending our church during our exploring service. And he says, I've never learned the Bible the way I have here. He and his family start coming to our equipping service. Financially, he started investing both in, in tithing to the church as well as giving um, to when we built this building. And I was sitting in the room with him. He knew he was getting close to death. He would, after our conversations, a week later, he died. And I'm not going to give you a lot of details. You'll find out why in just a second. As I'm sitting with him, we're planning his funeral together, he and I in his room. But a week later, I'm sitting right here in this seat, trying to figure out how to eulogize this incredible man, this incredible family. And somebody from his company came to me and handed me a, a brochure. It wasn't really a brochure, but like a 20-page paper of all the philanthropic things this man had done in the city. And again, so a couple years ago, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how do I, oh, wow, and Horizon was there, and, and uh, religious things were there, and Bible studies were there, and ministries were there, international ministries were there, so were things in the arts, so were things in the city that had nothing to do with religion, just things he was passionate about, things that were unique to his experience. And I was trying to figure out in the eulogy how to capture the character and the generosity of a man who loved God and just blessed people. I had the eulogy all written, and as I'm just going up to speak it, one of the family members came up and said, hey, somebody told us that somebody gave you a copy of the philanthropic ways in which our family's invested, and I said, yeah, man, I just, I'm so humbled. He said, you're not allowed to talk about any of that. It goes three pages of the eulogy. I said, why? I mean, this is, this is incredible, and there's no way I could even capture the generosity. And they said, he wouldn't want anyone to know, not now, not ever, because he wants all his money bags in heaven. It's his funeral. No, no. So I didn't, and that's why I'm trying to give too many details now. I was amazed at somebody who got this and looked at their whole life through the lens of I want treasures in heaven. Do you ever have one of those remember when times? Yeah, I remember we had that family vacation. I remember when we went on that trip. Oh, I remember that time we... I think this season of our church is going to be one of those remember when times. You've heard us talk about the plant team days when we were trying to practice figuring out how to do church and how to do children's ministry and what music should sound like. That was a remember when time, setting together our original design. It was a remember when time when we built this building. Thousands of people gave two-year pledges, four-year pledges. It was a remember when time. If you weren't here, we wrote personal handwritten notes, 500 of us, to our friends to invite them to our first church service on January 9th. Not January 2nd when we practiced to make sure we didn't screw it up and the sound system worked. It was a remember when time. And I think this is going to be one of those remember when times. That the tools we put in place in 2018 are going to set us up for the next five years of growing people through doubling or tripling the amount of equipping services, giving tools of putting us online video-wise so that we can pass those tools on to our friends. And I would just encourage you, don't miss out on this Remember When time. Don't think of the church as some organization, as some organism. It's you. You're the church. I'm the church. 
How do we invest in what God has for us? By looking at his kingdom. Because God's kingdom, right, should be much more. So ever so much more. So muchly, much, much more significant to you. That was Jesus' point. That's how Jesus says we should live all of life. By providing ourselves money bags that do not grow old. So at the end of your life, when you look at your life, your heart, your checkbook, I got to admit, I got a whole large percentage of my life that goes to barns, upgrading my barns. But I tell you, the longer I've grown as a Christian, the more God has connected me to him, I'm becoming more and more generous. I'm finding all kinds of faults where I have to apologize and I have to ask forgiveness. I'm like, ooh, so I'm not as generous to, to my wife as I need to be. I'm not as generous to my kids as I need to be. I'm not as generous to my God as I need to be. But the more I discover a God who's so generous to me, the more I grow into wanting to be more generous to others. And I want to invest in things that are eternal because eternity lasts for a long time. And invest less in things that are temporal because life is very, very short. I'm not going to trust in barns, but in my heavenly father. Not in my own toil, but in the ultimate tailor. So here's the question. Are you passing your riches on ahead? Or are you just building a bigger shed? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this challenging, challenging passage about our money, about our hearts, about our anchoring into you and who you are. Father, grow us individually as a church. Provide Father, for the tools we need to continue the mission, the great commission you've given us as as a church. God, that we can be part of another generation of new people who are coming and finding that you are their forgiver, that you are the final fixer, and that you are their Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. Thanks for being here today.